Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. This is Father Josh Allen, the chaplain at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center. Uh, this is Anthony Haskin, the pastoral lackey at the Catholic Center. And Laura Wanowski, a soon-to-be graduate of Georgia Tech. Very soon-to-be graduate. <laughs> so today we are uh, recording a podcast about a very interesting topic. Uh, we're going to talk about St. Peter. Uh, and this is something that Laura wanted to talk about. Whoop, whoop. She gets uh, the lead. <laughs> so she can she can kind of take it however she wants to. Um, St. Peter is a uh, certainly a fascinating uh, character in the gospel. He's very attractive to many people. And Laura, what, what would you like to uh, – how would you like to start talking about St. Peter? The thing that I like most about St. Peter is that whenever I read the gospels, I can so much identify with him because – I try to I try to imagine the relationship that he has with Jesus and not just read about. It. I think it's really easy sometimes like you hear the stories in the gospel and you read them and they don't really like resonate with you. You don't allow yourself to enter into them. And St. Peter always stands out to me because I I feel bad for Peter in the gospels a lot because <laughs> he just gets yelled at. You know, he like he thinks he's doing so great and Jesus always shuts him down, which is really great in my opinion. <laughs> uh because I think we're all a lot like Peter and um, I think what got me t- like thinking about this particularly was when, uh, for RCIA, when we were watching the passion of the Christ and my favorite scene in that whole movie is when Peter falls on his knees before Mary and it's right after he's denied Jesus and Mary attempts to, to touch Peter and kind of reach out to him and he's crying and he says, mother, I have denied him. And I always think about that going into confession that if I can have that same kind of like going to Mary and just, I've denied him, I've turned away from him that Peter had and the remorse he must have felt just trying to identify with that and, and going somewhere. Um, those are my thoughts in summary on Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting to read the gospel in a, like, especially Jesus and Peter's relationship in that they're like, you know, obviously Jesus is, you know, this great teacher and like their master or whatever, but like him and Peter, they're like bros. They're like good friends. And that's why I love the scene in John's gospel at the end when they're on the boat after Jesus has resurrected and he appears on the shore and St. John says, you know, it's the Lord. And Peter's like, I don't have time to wait for this boat to get there. I'm jumping in the sea. I'm putting my clothes on real fast. First, I'm going to get dressed. (laughs) You know, because we're fishing naked as one does or lightly clad. And you have to be modest when you swim. Uh And you have to be modest for our Lord, which... (laughs) So, and he just, you know, swims right up to, he gets there about the same time anyway, but Peter's zeal at that moment is just great. He's like, my best friend is back and I want to see him. His zeal (laughs) always is great. Uh Like one of my favorites is, uh, is when he comes out to walk on the water and he's believing in Jesus, like, wow, this is amazing. And then he kind of lets the reality of what is actually happening set in and starts Uh to sink. It's like, Jesus, (laughs) what's happening? He's kind of like a little dog sometimes. Like he just gets so excited about things and just like does. And then he's like, oh, but I'm also kind of an idiot. So (laughs) Satan, as Jesus likes to call him every now and then. (laughs) Do you have any priestly thoughts on St. Peter since he's your great, great, infinite, great kind of priestly grandfather? (laughs) Uh, It had never occurred to me to think about him in that that precise way. Uh, Um, But very interesting. Um, I think, uh, I think St. Peter is a fascinating character. I think people can, they can relate to how human he is presented in the gospels. Um, I think it's fascinating to think about, I mean, all, all of the, 
disciples would have had similar problems to Peter. Um, I mean, in fact, we hear about James and John like trying to get the best spot <laughs> yeah. at the at the you know when you enter into your kingdom, can we sit in your right and your left? Um, uh, James and John also the sons of thunder, right? Shall we rain down fire shall upon we them? Rain fire. <laughs> I love that. Like, not can you rain down fires? Like, shall, shall we? we? <laughs> right, as Elijah did. Um, but it's interesting how the the Pope, right? So the head of the church is the one who's presented with such humanity, right? With such mm-hmm. flaw. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the other disciples, you hear about James and John, but then like, whoever heard anything about, you know, some of the other ones, right? Nobody ever heard yeah. about Simon's uh, flaws, right? We don't hear yeah. about those. The other Simon. Right, the other Simon. <laughs> Not Simon Peter. <laughs> yeah. um, we don't hear about his flaws. We don't hear about a lot of the disciples. We don't hear much of anything. I mean, they... Some of them say something here or there in the Gospels, but I think it's interesting that the one who was chosen to lead the church, it's so clear that he had such incredible growth. I mean, and in fact, it's not just in Jesus's time, but even afterwards, right? St. Paul talks about uh, the fraternal correction that he gives to Mm -hmm. St. Peter, right? Because St. Peter is on the one hand saying that we are released from the law. But on the other hand, observing the law um, and encouraging people who observe the law to continue to observe it. And Paul ends up having to go to him and basically calls him a hypocrite. He says, you can't do this. Uh, you're saying this one thing and you're doing another. I mean, it's a, a, of an amazing thing to think about um, St. Paul correcting St. Peter. I mean, I would have loved to have been there. Oh, man. That would have been amazing. Um, but, How did uh, it go down? Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, St. Peter's a he's very fascinating for that reason because he has that human quality that we want to identify with. Um but I also think that it's interesting St. Peter I, I I was preaching about this uh mm-hmm. on Easter Sunday and I think it's interesting that that scene with St. Peter at the end it Peter had it tough. You know, cuz he does he does deny Jesus Christ. I mean, of course all of the disciples deny him. They all run away, right? right? But Peter denies him, denies even knowing him. After professing he would never. Right, yeah. exactly. That's usually what happens with Peter, though. Um, <laughs> he says he'll do something and then does the opposite. Exactly. <laughs> so he has that moment, and then Jesus appears on Easter Sunday in the upper room where the ten are gathered. Judas, of course, has already uh, departed from this world, and uh, Thomas is somewhere, and Jesus appears, and he doesn't speak to Peter. And that's, that's got to be awful. That's really, really, yeah. I mean, he talks to all the apostles, but he doesn't speak to Peter. And that's not normal. Like normally, Jesus, when anything big happens, he speaks to Peter. And he doesn't this time. And so then he disappears and he appears a week later. And now Thomas is here. And now Jesus has this interaction with Thomas, not with Peter. Right, so here we are a week after his resurrection, and as far as we know, Jesus still hasn't spoken to Peter. So then he finally goes to Galilee, and he gets all upset at having to wait, <laughs> and he goes out on the boat on the fishing expedition, 
And finally, Jesus shows up on the shore, ask him if they caught any fish. They say no. He said, put the boat, in, put the net in on the other side. They put the net in. It's what, 153 fish, yeah. something like that? So they pull specific. in 153 fish. They counted. <laughs> exactly. And Jesus uh, was identified then. It's like, you know, it's the Lord. And so it's funny. You say this whole bro thing. I kind of look at it <laughs> as Peter is finally like, you know what? He He's going to talk to me. That's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> and so he jumps in and he swims to the shore. And then that beautiful scene uh, of that, that reconciliation and the promise that Jesus makes to Peter, uh, the promise of his martyrdom, of his, uh, of his faith. And then as far as we know, that's the last thing he says to Peter. Now, I mean, he stayed on the earth for 40 days, but we don't know exactly how long everything happened. I mean, we heard, you know... It, Lots and lots of things happened that if they all got written down, then the book, the world yeah. would hold the books that everything <laughs> contained. But it's amazing at the end of the, at the end of his life with Jesus, how uncertain he must have felt. Right. It makes me think of being a kid and doing something that really made my mom angry. And then she wouldn't talk to me. And that's when it's like, oh, I've really crossed the line now. <laughs> And then not talking to me, going to hang out with, you know, people in public or having company over still doesn't talk to me. So I was actually surprised when I heard your homily and to hear you think about it because I also have a different perspective. And I most see it as Peter's like, all right, I'm just going to run in there and I'm just going to hug him and he's going to know that I'm sorry and it's going to be perfectly fine. Like, because it, we don't have anywhere in the gospel that Peter's like, hey, Jesus, I'm sorry about that. And then Jesus gives him the opportunity to overcome those three times that he denies him by saying, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. And Peter gets flustered with him. Like, dang, Lord, I already told you I love you. Like, what is this? That doesn't even recognize what's happening, that Jesus is giving him this this chance to, what, what do you want to call it? I don't know make up for having denied him three times he gets to profess his love three times in a row it's uh well it's certainly a nice parallel it's it's one of those things if they were going to make a movie of it i wonder so that scene that you were talking about where jesus or peter is devastated and he goes and he kind of kneels down in front of mary and he won't accept her comfort and even she she's a little hesitant about it Mm -hmm. you know it's not like she rushes to Mm -hmm. it because there is this kind of recognition that he's done something wrong Mm -hmm. right um I wonder if the sh- the scene that happened on the shore of Galilee is not the same way. That maybe oh. maybe Peter has fallen down oh. at Jesus' feet <laughs> and he's and he's crying. Yeah. And you can imagine like Jesus standing there and he says, Peter, Peter, do you love me? And he's just crying. He's like, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Right? And then Jesus says, Feed mm. my sheep. And then again he says, Peter, do you love me? You can imagine kind of like grabbing his feet and his and and just sobbing. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Like I know people who would be like that, right? There's got to mm-hmm. be a relief um, in that too that he even has the opportunity because how many times must he have played that over and over? Like, what if I had done something different? What if I had stepped in? What if I had this? What if, in the days after the crucifixion and and then Jesus comes back? I almost wonder if he had a kind of like ah crap, he's back. Like I messed up. And now I have to face some kind of moment of. But also, like, he's back. Like, I messed up, but he's not gone forever. Like, that's, I mean, I feel like that's more comforting. You're just over there, is, like, bro, dude, yeah. <laughs> My guess is, like, at first, he was probably very, very relieved and thrilled and excited. Mm-hmm. But 
over this period of time, it turns a little bit. I mean, a lot maybe. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know if it's hard for me to come up with an example of something like this happening in my life before, but you, you were just mentioning like where your, where your mom's not talking to you. Right now, when you're a little kid, that doesn't last very long, right. but still it feels like forever. What did you but do? I've had this sort of thing happen in other situations too, where like, you know, something's gone wrong. There's a lot of people around, so we can't really address it. Mm-hmm. And the person who's upset is very clearly acting like they're upset. But again, we can't really address it. <laughs> it's like, so awkward. Can we just say something about this and, yeah. and move on? Um, it, it's it's just a beautiful. So when I when I imagine that scene, I, I imagine like Peter like grabbing Jesus by his legs and his feet and saying all these things, and it's kind of coming out in the middle of his sobbing. And then Jesus, as he steps, he kind of steps back and picks him up. And that's when he says, when you were young, you dressed yourself mm-hmm. and you went about where yeah. you will. But when you're older, another person's going to dress you and uh, and take you where you do not want to go. And then feed my uh, feed my sheep, right? The humility thing. Or come follow me. The, yeah. fum- the humility that St. Peter had to have in that after, you know, because he, he just kind of gets beaten down by Jesus multiple times at the transfiguration. Oh, it's good that I'm here, Lord. Shall I build you some tents? Peter, focus on what's happening. Like, you know, strikes him down there. And that all of these different times that then Jesus is gone. And now he has the keys to, the, you know, to heaven and earth and he's got to build up the kingdom. Like the humility that he has to have to recognize that Jesus still is choosing him to lead his church after all that Peter's been through is pretty like mind blowing in my opinion to stand up and lead the church and, and to confidently be like, see, Jesus loves you. And I know he loves me because I denied him multiple <laughs> times. Then he gave me this chance and it's, it's going to be okay. It's amazing to think that the, the denier, he's the one who becomes uh, the head. I mean, there's a, a clear indication. I think one of the reasons why it's so important to establish the frailty of Peter um, is because, and this, this the Holy Spirit working in scriptures, right? Um, is because it's important for us to understand the nature of the head of the church, the nature of the of the Pope, who mm-hmm. we still call Peter, right? I mean, we don't, yeah. he's Francis, but, but uh, <laughs> we can also refer to him as Peter. Yeah. And in, sometimes in documents, he is referred to as Peter. To understand the frailty on which the system is built, I mean, Peter did not miraculously, it's amazing, like after, once the Acts of the Apostles occur, it's like we don't see Peter's, Peter's, Peter's <laughs> frailty anymore. Uh, we see... Uh, a very changed man. But here's the thing. God's grace doesn't work that way, right? Grace builds on nature. And while God would have given him certain graces that would have strengthened him, he probably still made the same number of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, his basic personality didn't change and Peter's impetuous, right? I- so, But it's just presented in a different way now because there's this kind of understanding of Peter as the Pope and while he's a flawed, frail man with the grace and charism of the Holy Spirit, when he's acting in this role as the Pope, teaching and preaching about the faith, then he he has the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. I and mean, you can see it in the life of St. Peter within the Gospels and in the Acts of the Apostles. Mm-hmm. So the other day I was reading the Acts of the Apostles and I was reading through, you know, how like in the Bible it gives you like a historical context of the book before you get into it. And it had mentioned something about Peter being married. Yeah. And that. He had a mother-in-law. Yeah. Jesus heals his mother-in-law. Right. 
That blew my mind. I completely forgot about that. That he had to leave that whole life behind. Now, maybe I'm thinking about marriage in the modern context, and it might have been a little bit different back then, but did Peter have children? I don't, I don't, I don't, know. I don't know. I don't know that, I don't know that we do know. He, he mm. might have though. I mean, it's certainly possible. And what I'm wondering now that you bring it up is his wife like tagging along this whole time or did she, he just leave her? Bye Peter, <laughs> here's your lunch. Yeah. Have a good day. <laughs> uh, be nice to Jesus. <laughs> there are probably like books that are written on this or people who have written about it. I, I, I don't really know the answer yeah. to that. Um, but I think that demonstrates, I mean, not that this is a podcast on this, but I think his experience demonstrates one of the reasons why I mean, St. Paul talks about how good it is for priests to be uh, celibate because they have a divided heart, yeah. right? I mean, it's like, imagine, like, if you're going to try to be a good husband and a good priest, and in his case, the, the Pope, Pope yeah. right? <laughs> you're going to try to be a good husband and a good Pope. I just don't see how you're not going to end up doing both of those jobs Pretty sort poorly. of poorly. Yeah. I mean, as it is, I have... I don't have enough time to do all the things that I need to do as a priest. I'm not talking about want. I mean, I don't have enough time to do all the things that I need to do, right? And I'm not married. And if you added that in, like, I don't know. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know how, you know, I, I remember when I was in seminary having a, a, a teacher tell me that, you know, the practical reason for celibacy is not the strongest one. It's really the eschatological sign of the kingdom, and that's the one we should focus on. <laughs> but to me, the practical one is pretty darn strong. <laughs> yeah. Just the, like, how in the world is anybody supposed to do this well? Yeah. You know? Um, and I know I know some married priests who would say the exact same thing. Maybe, like, because there are some strange exceptions for people who have converted in this right. thing, yeah. but uh, who would say the same thing. They'd be like, yeah... You can't really do both of these well, you know. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, that's neither here nor there with Peter. But <laughs> but but uh, how as a priest do you think about Peter? Like, what do you see him as an example to follow? Or well, sure. I mean, I think Peter's a great story of how grace can work in our life, right? I mean, he has a life that is very similar to people when they really become converted to the church. He has this early moment of enthusiasm and when when nothing is really going badly, right? People have this conversion in the church either to the, to the faith or even Catholics growing up just have this mm -hmm. sort of conversion when they really take a hold of their faith. And when that first happens for a lot of people, maybe even most people, everything just seems hunky-dory. Like it's just <laughs> great. It's all perfect. And, this, and, and when we first meet Peter, that's the way it is. Um, everything's going great. And, you know, the apostles are getting gathered together and it's all going to be wonderful. And then just like in our lives, all of a sudden starts, stuff starts getting a little more difficult. Like maybe this is not going to go the way that I thought it was going to go. Mm -hmm. And so now we start entering into these events that you're talking about where <laughs> Peter's saying one thing and Jesus is like, well, you know, no, it's going to work a little bit different than this. And uh, Peter getting impetuous about things and this, that, and the other. And the same thing happens to us. I mean, that zeal that we have gets tempered a little bit because we think this is the way this is going to go, but then it goes a different way, right? Um, and then ultimately, when it's all said and done and we, we begin to truly understand what our Christian life is going to require of us, and that could be when we're deep into our vocation. We're deep into our vocation. When we finally are encountering the problem 
of truly seeking holiness, not just talking about it, but really seeking it, it becomes really easy at that moment to just turn away from Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> when we really realize what it's going to cost, you know, uh, that it's all been, it's been difficult. Jesus is walking with these apostles and it's been difficult for them, right? It's been, it's already been tough. But then when they realize exactly what it's going to take, so then he he denies. But when he makes it through that, he comes back, this reconciliation, a reminder for priests that, I mean, priests do this all the time. We deny our Lord. We deny our bishop. We deny our Lord. We deny the people. We deny all kinds of people, right? But that we too can come back to our Lord. And then after that, after that moment, when we finally accept the full measure of what it's going to be to try to live a life of holiness, to try to do the right thing, um, to try to truly be open to the grace of God. Now we see what happens as a result, this power that comes from the Holy Spirit. So there's, I I mean, I think for a lot of people, it is, and I'm just talking, you asked about for the priest, but I think Mm -hmm. everybody kind of can fit the same sort of model. Yeah. Um, I'm curious too about, I mean, the 12 do we call them the disciples or are they the apostles. twelve apostles? Same thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how, like, for example, when when Jesus is giving the bread of life discourse, mm-hmm. and all these people leave, and then Jesus turns to them, and what about you? Do you want to leave too? There's got to be this, like, well, hey, if you go, I'll go. But like, <laughs> since none of them go, they're like, I can't be the well. Even Peter's go. response, like, well, to whom shall we go? But do you really You've think... You've got the words of everlasting life. In that moment that he's <laughs> like, I get it. No! no, no, no. That's what... It, I actually think he doesn't get it. That's yeah. why his answer is so good, right? It's almost like he avoids the entire bread of life. <laughs> exactly. And he right, says, great, Jesus, so I don't duh. really get this. Uh, I kind of want to leave because you just said that we have to eat you. <laughs> and that's weird. That's weird. In fact, we're probably not supposed to eat people. <laughs> but I've been with you a long time and like you haven't ever said a lie. Mm-hmm. You haven't ever said anything that's wrong. You haven't ever said anything that when it's all said and done that I, I didn't understand. And so where, where, where am I going to go? You've got the words of everlasting life. Because he does recognize, yeah. I mean, because I'm thinking, well, he could go back to his wife. Like, over here. <laughs> she does not have the words of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> right. So at least, you know, he, he acknowledges that. But <laughs> it's, uh, I just, I love Peter because I think we can all resonate with him so much in that. I mean, even the scene that you mentioned uh, with him running, you know, back to Jesus on the beach, it's like not even five minutes after when. Uh, Peter or Jesus tells Peter, like, you know, what's going to happen to him? Uh-huh. And then Peter's like, yeah, but what about John? Yeah, he gets all <laughs> exactly. jealous. <laughs> exactly. So wait, is he is he just going to live forever? What's going on with him? <laughs> so there was a thing because I was rereading that this morning in adoration, and there was a little like footnote in my uh, in my Bible that says it's possible that Peter didn't actually say that, and that's just there for the hearers of the of the word so that we understand what was going on there. But I'm like, no, I bet Peter said it. I bet he said it. And Jesus or John just put it in, you know, because <laughs> right. John's the one writing this. I love reading John's gospel, especially with the interactions with Peter. When they go to the empty tomb, 
Like Peter and the beloved disciples both ran, to the, but <laughs> the beloved disciple Jesus loved ran faster than Peter. <laughs> it's like oh, you have to find out Peter's an old man, and you're a, that's right. You're a he's old dog. and slow. Yeah, yeah. But he was humble enough to let Peter go in first. So. Exactly. And then exactly. Peter's like, "What's going on in here?" <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you know. I think this has been a good exercise in uh, something that that really all of us should do with the scriptures, and that is really trying to use our imagination with the characters, right? It's not just about the things that they say. We should try to think about like, how are they saying them? How is it they can say these things and have it make sense to us in a real way? We imagine the scene. We imagine um, the emotion going on. We imagine the physical appearance. We imagine how what people are doing while they're, while they're speaking. I mean, all of us, when we're talking, uh, we have gestures and other kind of things that we do. And uh, trying to imagine that, it really helps. I mean, the, the phrase that we use is like it, it incarnates the gospel in our own life, in our own heart, right? It puts flesh on the gospel. That's something that all of us should do. And that's the kind of thing in order to even have this conversation that um, all three of us have had to have done at different times. And so uh, for anybody uh, listening, I really encourage you to try praying through the gospels in this way. Like try to understand who are these characters when Jesus says things, how are they reacting? What does Jesus look like? How is he saying these things? What kind of tone of voice is he using? Those things really help us to come to know our Lord in a profound way and the other characters too, right? Mm-hmm. To get to know Peter as a as a human being rather than um, as a stoic kind of character <laughs> who says these things and uh, has a very sort of high detached personality right in deep voice or whatever it is. And and all the saints too, of never allowing ourselves to forget that all of the saints are human. There's a book in the adoration chapel and it's called Mary for today by Patricia noon. And it's one of my favorites on Mary because it talks about how we can sometimes we talk about how great she is that we can almost dehumanize her, but to remember like, and it's, it's kind of addressed to women, which is why I liked it. But just to remember that she was a 14 year old girl and that all of this came out of nowhere. And it's not like she had, I mean, we have like hindsight. We understand the full story from start to finish, but none of the characters, none of the saints knew anything that we have the privilege of looking on their lives. So to never allow ourselves to make them so holy that they're unattainable. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for listening. This is the Hell of a Catholic podcast. If you have questions or comments, uh, you can email us at podcast at gtcatholic.org. Thanks and God bless. Can you still hear me? Yes. Sorry, my mic was falling over.